Say hello. Hello. You're listening to A Little Birdie Told Me, a Winnie Wagtail podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Gundalak. I'm a mum of two and registered midwife. And throughout this series, I'll be speaking with experts in their fields. I'm asking the questions we're all wondering as we fumble and find our way through parenthood. On today's episode, Sarah Boyd from Resilient Little Hearts. Speaking to little kids about big emotions is tricky. We want to say the right thing as parents. We want to shelter our little ones from those uncomfortable moments and hate seeing them upset. And yet keeping them happy all the time isn't the right move as a parent either. It's sort of this hard balance where we're just juggling to get it right and teaching our kids about resilience and adversity is incredibly important. Sarah Boyd is helping us do just that as parents. Sarah is an authority on resilience, courage and creativity. She holds a master's in educational psychology and a diploma of neuroscience of leadership. Sarah is the founder of Resilient Little Hearts, a children's publishing house and a children's book author. I spoke with Sarah earlier. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Rosie, how are you? Well, thanks. Thanks so much for joining me today. So, Sarah, you've become an authority on resilience and courage and founded a kids' publishing house called Resilient Little Hearts, which, um, and have also written a children's book. Can you tell us a little bit about how this all began? Yeah, so I suppose the semi short version of the story is. Yeah. Um, I was always really uh, interested in psychology and and so when I started working and I started working in in a ministry context and non-for-profit and then even in corporates, uh, my husband and I would run workshops on resilience. It started to become a topic and I remember being in those workshops and having participants in their 40s, 50s and 60s come and say with almost tears in their eyes, oh, I wish I knew this when I was younger. And so I knew the kind of topics that we were talking about were really hitting a nerve with people. Uh, but then I went through a very personal challenge myself when I was 27 years old and I got diagnosed with cancer. And as you can probably imagine, when, when you get such a life altering diagnosis at such a young age, it, it genuinely kind of turned me into like this quarter life crisis. And I really started questioning, yeah, like what I was doing and why I was doing it. And, and truthfully, I had always wanted to write. I had all these ideas and things that I wanted to create, but I was really capping myself and holding myself back. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of happening internally. And then after I went through the cancer treatment and, and thank goodness I was um, given the all clear, we fell pregnant with our first child. Amazing. And I think it was, yeah, it was very much the combination of all of this stuff bubbling under the surface in me as like just in an, in a, as an individual, but then also becoming a mother that just made me realize that these types of skills and the, the concept of resilience and emotional health is something that is probably the most important thing that we can teach our children. Because I realized from my own life experience, you know, as parents, we all have this desire to, we wish we could protect our children from going through horrible things in life, but we can't control what life is going to throw at our children. Um, But we can, we can equip them of how to manage challenge and stress in a healthy way and how to manage their emotions so that they can navigate this. And and I think, um, you know, the World Health Organization actually released a stat that 
that in the next few years, depression and mental health issues are going to become the leading cause of disability worldwide, which is more than cancer, more than heart disease, that these mental illnesses that are plaguing our generation are actually going to come to a point and a level in people's lives that they're having to miss work. And so this really birthed a mission in me to... Um, to create a movement essentially of parents and educators and teachers who really want the best for our children and want to teach them and equip them in resilience and emotional health. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, that stat is nuts. When I read that on your website, I basically didn't believe it. I, yeah. I found that so hard to wrap my head around that depression will be the leading disability over cancer and, you know, over those sort of health issues that I, you just think would be more prevalent. Um, in regards to, you know, um, depression being considered a disability worldwide in, and the leading one in years to come, what do you think we can be doing to help our kids sort of arm them with tools for the future? What do, what do you think is sort of the number one that we should be doing? Well, so there's a couple of number ones, but I would say firstly, because obviously from, um, you know, your community is parents and as parents, I'm a parent of two children myself. The number one mm -hmm. thing we can do is take care of our own mental health. Um, truthfully, the most influential thing on a child is the model and the example of a parent. And so I can give you a couple of things, which I will also do in, in a sec, but I think it's really important sometimes as particularly as mothers, we can get into very self-sacrificing um, and we think that we're putting our children's needs before ourselves. But if you're finding yourself getting to a point where you really genuinely feel like this is not going good, then I'd really encourage you to reach out to people and take care of yourself um, is really important. Um, so, so in terms of practically what we can do with children, we need to start um, talking about emotions and our language around emotions like it's everyday normal life. Um, emotional literacy is literally the foundation of a child's emotional intelligence as they build up. So the capacity for them to, number one, be aware of their emotions and number two, be able to give it a name seems like such a simple thing, but is actually life altering. And so if, if what you want to start doing is your children start even being old enough, old enough to talk is, you know, as they're in their twos and threes and you might point at something and say, oh, that's a tree or that's an aeroplane. You also want to say, oh, this is happy or this is sad and begin to start open conversations about that. Right. So for an example, yeah. if, you know, my little two-year-old's having a total meltdown, should I be saying, you know, oh, you're angry at the moment? You know, do you, is, is, do you mean like sort of naming the emotion as they have it or pointing yeah. out when someone else has an emotion? Yeah. So you can do it when they have it. You, you could say something like, you seem like you're feeling a little bit angry at the moment or you seem like you might be feeling this. You, you want to, like, when you can, you want to not actually say you are this because it takes okay. away their ownership. But as much as possible, you just want to be talking. You seem like this is actually, you know. So the other thing happens too is, like, in parenting, when you are emotional, because we all do, being yeah. able to name it yourself. So if you're in traffic and you're frustrated and, you know, you grouch around <laughs> or whatever, and yeah. Back of the car and they yeah. say like mommy what's wrong and you say oh nothing nothing it, it's actually really healthy to just say oh 
like mummy's just a bit frustrated mummy but mummy will be okay and and it's just the natural language that emotions are not a shameful thing to be hidden um and okay. it, it basically that's a good point yeah it just creates a family environment where obviously there are boundaries around expression of emotions in terms of behavior but in terms of the actual feelings it, it's creating a culture in your family where any feelings are are okay okay well, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think um, moving sort of emotional health over, say, into the school setting? Because I know, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our kids as they get older will attend traditional schooling. In that environment, w- what are we doing to help our kids emotionally at school? Do you think we need to be um, sort of shifting the emphasis off academia in, in some instances and more into teaching kids about emotional health and I know like there's been a movement to introduce things like meditation into primary schooling um what are your thoughts on um what we should be seeing in schools to help our kids emotionally yeah well I think it's a really good question I also think it's it's loaded because I'm well aware that there are many many teachers who are very passionate about this topic but you know talking about facilitating change in such a big thing is is sometimes easier said than done but I do completely agree with you that that this actually needs to be something that we're overtly teaching children and you know the hope is that they learn it at home but many children don't because many parents aren't equipped with this and so just like you know when you learn to drive a car um, you you don't necessarily need the same knowledge of a car as a mechanic but you need to know like here is a steering wheel and this is the accelerator and this is the brake. Like you need some this is the brake. basic information. <laughs> yeah. And the same is true yeah. about our brain. Um, you don't need the same amount of information as a neuroscientist or even necessarily a psychologist, but you do need some basic understanding of what thoughts are and what emotions are and, you know, thoughts causing emotions and situation and all that sort of stuff to be able to navigate just life. Because even if you don't have anything majorly traumatic happening in your life, you're still dealing with negative experiences. And I think that educational aspect is really important. It's, it's part of the reason why, um, like with our company, Resilient Little Hearts, we've, we've lent towards um, children's books because I believe that one of the most powerful ways you can teach children concepts is through story. And also because when you yeah. read a book with a child, it facilitates open conversation between either the teacher and the child or the parent and the child and opens up conversations about things that you wouldn't necessarily have. So I do believe it's really important that we're educating children. Fantastic. No, I couldn't agree more with you. I think it's it's definitely shifting in the right direction, but um, there's more that we could be doing probably sort of at that state and federal level over here in Australia to sort of introduce it into curriculum as opposed to just being at the whim of the teacher. Um, yeah, I, I, think I mean, that, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic. Do you think sort of keeping in that line of schooling and education, do you think sort of sport and cultural activities have a, a role to play um, in this as well? Like at schools and at carnivals and stuff these days, um, every kid gets a ribbon in a running race. What 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 are your sure. what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that helps build resilience, or do you think that that's not necessarily where we should be heading to help teach our kids those sort of natural feelings of you know um, not not winning 
all the time? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky question, hey, because I think one of the things that we hold as parents is like it's heartbreaking to watch our child fail yeah and it's it's heartbreaking (laughs) to see them in pain um and then on the other side you've got you know a world where you know they're not rewarded just for you turning up or or whatever they're rewarded for you know performance and stuff and so it is it is very tricky I, I think um if we could create a situation where a child's home is an emotionally safe place and they are loved and valued regardless of their performance, regardless of whether they have um, the same interests as, you know, because every family culture has, you know, something, whether it's, you know, dancing or they're into music yeah. or sports or whatever, you know, and if there's yeah. a child who doesn't fit into that culture, it's, you know, that that rejection, if they're, if they they're coming and they... yeah. yeah if they if they are raised in a family like that then in terms of because i think this conversation about are we are we rewarding children for everything or whatever can go to either extreme and so i don't i don't think that we need to create a world where there's you know no bad thing like sorry everything needs to be really hard for children but at the same time entitlement comes in children when they're given things that they don't earn themselves and so it's not necessarily about you know does a kindergartner get a ribbon for turning up in a race well you know maybe that's fine (laughs) but you know if they're they're competing for you know state and all that sort of stuff talking about a different situation yeah and so um i think the bigger thing is when you start to rob your child of the opportunity of fail is when you start saving them from natural consequences of their behavior so for example they choose not to do a homework assignment you do the homework assignment for them because you don't want them to get a bad grade or um, they don't turn up to their as when they're older and they're teenagers they don't turn up to their part-time job you then you know call their boss and in in, like make an excuse exactly so it's not about because the other side of me and i'm sorry if this is not a clear answer (laughs) no not at all it's just a conversation yeah There are some there are some situations where I would always advise um, parents to involve themselves. If you've got a child where you're concerned there are additional needs, um, if there's any kind of diagnosis situation, if you've got a child where you actually you actually seeing they're getting bullied, um, then it's it is actually important for you to involve yourself. Sometimes as parents we have this really high expectation of our children, like oh it doesn't matter if they're getting bullied at school, they need to you know quote unquote toughen up. But if we were getting bullied by someone mm. that we were working with every day in an office, yeah, we wouldn't stand exactly. for it. Yeah, and, and highly likely we would mm. even you know either stand up for us or eventually leave. So it's it's really contextual mm. in that respect. Mm, no, I think it, it was a loaded question no, to fine. throw at you. <laughs> Sorry no, about that. Totally fine. Um, um, on your website, just shifting yeah. in a different direction to keep it a little bit lighter <laughs> for you. Um, you're, uh, you speak to helping kids um, define their worth internally, sort of looking at value-based definitions. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how we sh- we can sort of be helping to help shape a child to understand their worth internally? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to what the parents and the educators and the teachers value, the people, the adults, the influential adults in their world, what they value. And if we Mm. are people who value academics over everything or sport over everything, then we're just going to impart that to our children. And so it's really um, re-engineering a family dynamic that I think, you know, in past generations, I just think it was unconscious that, that this happened. But it's really about intentionally thinking about the culture that you want in your family. And do you want what's most important to you? What is it important that your child learns um, autonomy and confidence and resilience? Mm. Or is it more important that they get into a certain school or they've got X amount of extracurricular activities. And, and it is, uh, I think, an anti-cultural stance to take because as a generalization, and, and you know, you can hear from my voice, I'm Australian. Um, my <laughs> husband and I also, we moved to California here in the States three years ago. And, oh, wow. and it's, yeah, it's even more intense here in some ways in terms of the pressure on children. Um, to be at a certain academic level, to have extracurricular activities. I've had parents, you know, my children are five and seven now, and I've had, you know, multiple conversations with parents who cannot understand why my children aren't in more extracurricular activities or they're not or whatever. And it really does come down to you taking a stand as a parent and in your family of what's actually most important to you because your children will model after your example. Totally. I, I couldn't agree more. We've just moved back um, to Australia after 18 months in Hong Kong and oh, wow. my little, yeah. And um, academia and um, extracurricular activities are very important over there. And so much so that, you know, two-year-olds have to attend um, an interview to get into certain sort of kindergarten programs, which for me just didn't really sit right. And so we, we didn't go down that path whilst we were in, in um, Hong Kong. I, I didn't want my little 17 month old feeling like he he had to be able to explain certain things in an interview yeah. yet that just wasn't yeah. wasn't where I was at um so he didn't he didn't um go to schooling over there yet and still actually isn't in Australia yet I've probably got to pull my finger out but I've had um coronavirus as an excuse yeah, totally. not to <laughs> enroll him anywhere <laughs> but um yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It, it definitely comes down to um, family values as to, you know, and what you place an emphasis on as a family um, as to how you define worth internally. Following um, on from that, you talk a lot about, there's quite a lot of heavy topics, you know, f- um, following um, <laughs> their heart and finding courage in a scary moment, rising against failure, you know, th- these are quite deep subjects to chat with little people about, which I'm assuming is why you started Resilient Little Hearts. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of um, the undercurrents of the book that you wrote? Yeah, so our first uh, children's book, we- we've got a series coming out in the next few years. Uh, the first children's book I wrote is called The Boy Who Stood Up Tall. And it- it's a it's a metaphor story about this little boy who gets very scared of thunderstorms and he learns to kind of stand up to his fears. And there's a couple of psychological principles in the book. We talk about um, how fear is normal. We normalize the feelings of fear as opposed to making children feel shame if they feel afraid. Um, The book also talks about a practical way to stand up to fears and speaking to ourselves and the way we physically hold ourselves 
um, actually changes us neurochemically in our body to stand up to our fears. So there's a whole heap of notes in the back of the children's book for parents to kind of understand what's happening. Um, and yeah, the, the book is about what courage really is, that courage is not a feeling or it's not, you know, it's actually something that you do despite your feelings. And part of the reason that um, I created this book and, and the ones to come as well is because I think that these, like you said, deep topics are sometimes not spoken about. And I think parents wish they could talk about them with their children, but they don't really have something to start the conversation. Yeah, the um, tools. The mm. tools, yeah. And mm. it's and one of the things that I've loved the most is the feedback from the book that we've had. Um, firstly, parents saying that the book spoke to them about, you know, their fear and their courage, which is really cool. But also yeah, too, just great. how many people have had like really deep conversations with their children that they really didn't think they were going to have with, you know, a four-year-old or a five-year-old. Uh, due to like reading the book because all the conversations then come out, the parents share a time that they felt scared and they were brave anyway. And it continually redefines stuff for the child. Mm, amazing. Oh, I think what you're doing is wonderful. Um, I, I, I do think it's very important that we are having these chats with our kids, especially when, you know, I've definitely noticed in sort of maybe the last five years, we're talking a lot more about anxiety yeah. and saying I'm anxious has become less stigmatized than it was when I was at school um, 11, 12 years ago. No one was really talking about, you know, oh, I'm anxious about this assignment or I'm feeling so stressed out and anxious. We're using that as a, as a word a lot more now. Yeah. For our kids if, and when, you know, we can see that they are stressing out about something at school or at home or just in life in general, if we think our, our, our little ones are, are looking a bit anxious, what do you think are some good ways to sort of probe at this and have those discussions? Yeah, so anxiety, like any emotion, is a very visceral, physical feeling that they feel in their body. So I think it's important. Naturally, we think, oh, anxiety, it's an emotion. The only thing we need to do is talk about it. But particularly when you're talking about younger children at the age of four and five, a lot of the time they don't have language. Um, and it just comes out in their behavior as they begin mm. to get older into six, seven and eight, they'll maybe be able to articulate things. So one of the first things I, I would say to you is if you're noticing that you're, you know, you're, you're starting to get concerned that your child has anxiety, like has anxiety, it's gone past like worry, you've really noticed a change in their behavior. The first thing that I would do is completely um, simplify their environment and I would cut a lot of the media that they're watching I would slow down their schedule and routine I would um, help them like create a space whether it's in their room or their playroom or something that's like karma I would remove because a lot of times we're unaware that it's the multiple building of a lot of things of stimulation mm. of stress of noise of pressure that's culminating in this overall sense of anxiety you know one of the other things that um that we do with our children is if we're, we're beginning to notice that that anxiety coming up is we will clear time in our own calendars and spend like an addition like more one-on-one -on -one time with them 
Um, and then you might begin, then you'll be able to have conversations about what's st like stressing them out or what they're feeling anxious about. And it may be um, something that you're unaware of is happening. You know, I think this happens for everyone when their child starts school, even when you're involved and you're asking how they are, there's a lot of stuff that's happening through their day that you're not aware of, or they're not necessarily talking to you about. And so taking totally. that intentional like time with them helps them decompose compress and then they're actually more open to talk to you about what's going on yeah I think that I think that makes a whole lot of sense I think I have definitely noticed life I'm sure for all of us has slowed down incredibly yes. and I think there's there are a lot of positives that we can walk away from this experience and time with our little ones, you know, as much as it's been heartbreaking to see them not playing with friends and getting out to parks and being on swings and doing all the fun, you know, mucky things that you want your kids doing, emotionally having a, a slower life and um, less stimulation has definitely made me reflect on what I will do moving forward. What are yeah. your hopes moving forward for us sort of after this coronavirus time? when, you know, looking at our mental health and self-care, it's so much more prevalent on social media and things like that at the moment. Everyone's talking about it. What, what are you hoping that sort of we take from this life experience? Well, I think it's given us an opportunity to go at the pace that really our soul needs to go at. And I think there's been some restrictions around that because obviously we'd love to go at this pace, but still, still see people and, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. But I yeah. think it's, you know, important for both kids and adults alike just to become aware of when the pace of life starts getting faster again, what, what you're actually spending your time on. Um, because all of us can get into a place where, we're experiencing anxiety or even depression because the external load that's placed on us is becoming greater than our internal capacity to hold. And when that happens, we have to have the capacity to flick the switch and put some boundaries around our social media, our media, the pressure on our schedules, same for our children, um, so that we can create a life where we're actually, you know, our life is not supposed to be performance so that we kill ourselves it's actually yeah. supposed to be enjoyment and connection with people and that's real where the real joy is found so mm. i i agree with you like there's there's been so many frustrating parts of this and you know mm. we've had to navigate businesses and children and oh goodness homeschooling for nine yep. weeks <laughs> but yeah. there's been so many other awesome things of like actually really cooking and eating together and more time with the kids and that's been like really special yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. We we moved countries as a result of it. And wow. um, there has been a lot of craziness for us this past six months. But um, just, you know, my husband and I hanging with our babies all day, every day, as crazy as that can send you sometimes. Yes. <laughs> um, or many times. I, <laughs> I, 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 I think, you know, in 25 years to come, we will look back on this time fondly and think, oh, that that was so lovely that we got to spend so much time together because life, you know, does pick up and we sort of jump back on, you know, the crazy roller coaster and sometimes it does feel hard to get off. So I, I think yeah. moving forward, um, I'm, I'm definitely going to try more in, in that regard. Um, I, I, w I was reading 
on, you know, before speaking to you today. And I came across a quote saying um, that, you know, parenting's like a Rubik's cube and from the outside, it always looks so easy. And then you start doing it and it's incredibly complicated. And, you know, you're wondering, you know, where you're going wrong as you keep spinning and spinning and spinning. Um, (laughs) if, If you could tell parents just one thing to implement or one rule or your favorite mantra or tip, um, just to finish up today, what would it be? Oh, wow. That is such a good question. I completely agree with that. It, parenting is one of the most challenging jobs in the world, if not the most. And mm. um, I think in the age of additional information, um, while it's positive and hopefully empowering for people, I think sometimes it can make just add extra stuff to the list where we feel like we're not measuring up. Mm. Um, what I would say is the most important thing Um that will determine your child's um, trajectory and their resilience and their emotional health is the connection that you as the parent have with the child. And I just think regardless if you feel like everything's going wrong, every time you make an intentional effort to lean towards connection, even when you have to discipline and set a boundary, even when there are fights or even when you lose your temper and you feel like you have an imperfect day, of making the decision to lean again towards a connection towards them of overtly telling them that they're loved that you love them um, is the most important thing you can do to create that because what many people don't understand about resilience is when we talk about the word most people think it's like just growth mindset like it's just a child who can be persistent and and can handle like stress but it actually comes down to self-regulation and it's a child's ability or an individual's ability to like be aware of their emotions regulate their emotions and hold off on something now for a longer term goal well the the truth of how self-regulation develops is in a healthy attached relationship and so you are doing something so significant when you purely just have a connect a connected relationship with your child you're actually changing their brain and helping them move into a brighter future Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for speaking to us today. I'm sure everyone that listens to this will get something from it. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. That was Sarah Boyd from Resilient Little Hearts. Sarah can be found online at sarahboyd.co and resilientlittlehearts.com.